This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us here on the Mom Squad Pod, the podcast where we talk all things parenting. And today's topic is teaching kids how to handle adversity. And I have to admit, I I have a tendency to be a helicopter mom in some ways. My kids are still small. I worry about them succeeding. I worry about them getting their feelings hurt. And I know that I need to, I need to expose them to adversity in some ways. So to help us out here, we have Dr. David Miller with University Hospitals. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So am I... Am I off or am I, am I a typical parent that I want to protect my kids and keep them in bubble wrap and make sure that they don't have their feelings hurt? Oh, absolutely. I think you are a very typical parent in that way, for sure. I think our instincts are to want our kids to have a blissful, you know, carefree life that nothing goes wrong. And then that almost, well, pretty much never happens. Yeah. So. <laughs> are there any certain ways that um, you think that just groundwork, like adversity, um, I guess let's define adversity here first, because I want to make sure that it's not um, being misunderstood as putting our kids in harm's way and what exactly is facing adversity in a safe way. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, really, that's such a broad category, Um, you know, and so I think we want to think about that in different domains, right? And I think like one of them is like, really, you know, there's the big level adversity, the scary stuff that's going on in society, the school stressors, you know, that that have the kids worried about safety at school and things like that, Um, you know, along those magnitudes. And then there's sort of the the more usual level, you know, kid-kid stuff where there's bullying or there's problems on the playground or there's sort of those interpersonal challenges that are so profound. For, for many kids. Um, and then there's things like, you know, performance in school, performance in sports, you know, what do you do, you know, when you're not the winning team? What do you do when you get the bad grade on the test? How do you incorporate that into your outlook? So I think when we're thinking about adversity, we definitely want to be thinking in those different domains, because I think there's mm-hmm. different preparation for each mm-hmm. one, but then there's some commonalities as well. What do you think is one of the most common that, that you hear parents talk about the most? Is it the sports or is it the bullying on the playground or, you know, what situations? Yeah, I think, you know, so um, for many kids, I think like academic performance is huge. You know, it really depends on the age of the kid as well as the kids get older, junior high. Uh, it, it really starts going. And then in high school, it's particularly strong is this feeling of needing to be perfect all the time. And that if you get like a B on a test, everything is over. Right. And I think um, really one of the, the the great pieces of advice that I've seen I've picked up over the years is really to throughout your child's growth and development throughout their, their childhood, praise their effort rather than the outcome, right. That you want to really get them into the habit of trying hard. And even if they fail, the win is that they tried hard. You know, and then that sets them up for being able to win, essentially, even when they fail a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the reality is that the kid who who has that resilience and is able to go at it over and over again will succeed in the long run. Okay. There's been, over the past years, this is nothing new, uh, we've, we've all heard the parents complain about the everybody gets a trophy right. situation in sports and in just in life. And I've heard a lot of parents against that theory of... of you know, hey, good job, you got the participation trophy. But mm-hmm. does that fly in the face of praising the effort? I mean, where do you where right. do you walk that line? Right. I think that is a tough line to walk, right? There's this idea of, of ultimate fairness and everybody gets kind of the same thing regardless of what happens. And then there's 
um, sort of more of a recognition of, of when someone actually achieves. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm more in favor of, um, you know, praising the kids for their participation, praising them for their effort, but just because every kid participated didn't mean they put forth a good effort. And so, right, it does muddle that message a little bit where, you know, you're going to get a trophy regardless of what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the negative flip side of things is when it can go too far that actually ends up discouraging kids because they feel like, you know, why should I even try? I'm going to get the trophy either way. Mm -hmm. Right. So I do think we need to distinguish certain types of rewards for different types of outcomes and, um, and, you know, I think it's one way to do that is to help kids figure out where is their strength, where are their strength domains, like where do they really shine, you know, and where they can they feel really proud of their, their abilities, but then also let them participate in activities where they're not as good and they get that sort of more 360 degree experience of being really the top dog in one place and in another place they're sort of the follower or the, the second <laughs> string or, or whatever it is and, and understanding that, that diversity of experience will prepare them in other parts of their life as well. Mm -hmm. So in general, I mean, in that way, do we, do we want our kids to have that experience of being second string? And then what do they do when, when they're upset about it? Well, I think, right. I think it's that mix is, is that we want to give the kids the mixed experience where they are first, first string, we'll call it that, um, you know, in, in some areas, and they really get that feeling of being really, you know, sort of, you know, excellent, you know, in something, because that's an important experience to have too, is that feeling of achievement and that feeling of, of being special. But I think it's also important, um, yes, to, to put our kids into situations where they see where some of their weaknesses are or where other people are. Uh, superior to them in certain aspects, but also teach them to appreciate the people who are winning, you know, the, the person on the team who's the star player, right? Like we can't all be the star player every time, but sometimes it's really nice to be on a team where there's a star player. And so, you know, finding some of the, um, the positives of not necessarily being like way out in front uh, that way to help them understand the, the joy of team participation just in general. And, and again, I think to, to teach them to appreciate other people's accomplishments in a really healthy way, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, um, that makes them a stronger person too. And so I think you can also take that experience of, you know, teaching people to be, um, you know, a good sport, essentially, whatever the, the arena is that they're competing in, whether it be academic or social or whatnot. And, um, you know, to be a, a gracious loser is, is um, a real personal strength. And, and that if you as the parent also are proud of your child for the way they handled a negative situation, that will often overwrite the disappointment of the situation itself. Mm -hmm. And so don't underestimate your ability to say, I'm so proud of you for what you did. And, you know, look, you know, Johnny was awesome out there too. You were great, but hey, you know, good, good, good work today. You know, that kind right. of thing. Right. In a previous podcast, one of our experts brought up um, when it comes to friendships, and I think friendships and bullying is always a hot topic, yeah. um, getting kids used to that, that social world that even as adults, I feel like we even still deal with it as adults, yeah. but having the, having the knowledge and the emotional intelligence, and, and this goes along with adversity, when mm -hmm. a friend says, no, you can't play with me or a classmate or somebody, um, or somebody says something mean, like your artwork, you know, I don't want to use bad words. You know, I, yeah. I don't like your artwork. I don't like right. your, you know, you're bad at soccer uh -huh. and it hurts their feelings. Yeah. How do you talk them through that? How do you make that a teachable moment for them? Yeah. 
That's a great question. And I think, you know, part of that comes that if we have the opportunity to, we prepare ahead of time for that, you know, and we can run through like sort of scenarios. And I think this works really well with really younger kids, sort of, you know, basically like three to eight year olds, for example, that's a great age range to do this, where you can sort of think up imaginary situations and say, okay, so say you're playing football and someone says, oh, you look stupid when you're playing football, you know, and, you know, what are you going to do? And the kids can kind of think about it in a situation where it hasn't actually happened and sort of work through, you know, what's the sequence of, of what am I going to want to do when, you know, should this actually happen to me? So, mm -hmm. so preparing them in that way um, is important. Sometimes, you know, the answer is you just want to, you know, give a hug to somebody and say that was really wrong and you know you're right that was a nasty thing to say and you know and teach them like we don't we don't want to be that person either like we want to you know learn how that feels and like help them understand sort of um you know how to turn their emotions into really empathy for other people so um you know taking sort of you know lemons and making lemonade out of it really mm -hmm. um in that way but but helping them develop their emotional insight how do i put words to my emotions how do i manage this why am i allowing that person that kid to define me like that you know it's a good conversation about like you know we we have to look into ourselves and self-define a little bit too and as the parent you can say you know i really appreciate this to me your artwork was beautiful and you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder so why are you giving that person so much sway over your emotions and mm -hmm. enter into those conversations you know and i think sometimes it's always going to hurt a little bit but you know, the idea is to sort of help them gain insight, help them become a richer person and, um, and, and bounce back. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of character tra traits are we talking about here when, when kids learn to, to deal with adversity? What kind of, um, I know you mentioned resilience, but like what kind of character building does this do when they learn how to hear no or lose a game and be able to walk away and be okay with it? Well, I think it makes them just a, a more uh, robust and, and well-rounded person overall, you know, and I think it, it prepares them better to be a member of a complex society. You know, really our experiences in childhood form the basis uh, upon which we're going to build our interactions as adults. And so if we learn how to manage sort of adversity on the playground, then we already have a framework for managing adversity in the workplace, right? Because they're not really all that different, unfortunately. I mean, sometimes, yes. <laughs> but, um, but, but really this is forming that foundation of their own sort of emotional and personality sort of stability and their ability to adapt to uh, complex situations. And so you're, you're teaching right? Resilience or adaptability, self-esteem, uh, compassion, empathy. You know, I think another thing that we can do to really help our kids is, um, you know, to sort of flip the anger and flip the, the pain and the fear and say, well, that person was really mean to you and they said nasty things, but let's think about like, why, why maybe did they come at you from that perspective? Like what could be going on in their life that's causing them to be so angry and to feel like they're powerless and so they need to take power over somebody else. So teaching them about those interpersonal dynamics and building compassion for the people who are being mean to us, not to ex you know excuse their behavior, but to explain their behavior, right? To understand that people don't do things really without some sort of a background leading to that action. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's important for our kids to develop that um, more than just surface level judgment of other people, because we're going to always see people throughout our lives who do bad things, but that doesn't necessarily make them at core somehow really bad, you know, unredeemable uh, people, right? Mm -hmm. They may be dealing with some adversity of their own that they don't know how to manage. Mm -hmm. What's that follow-up 
I mean, I'm trying to think of the follow-up question that a kid might have when you say, well, that person's struggling with something, mm-hmm. you know, that that's making them feel bad about themselves or taking it out on you. And, mm-hmm. and then you get the why, why, why? I mean, how does that go? I feel like I'd have to tread lightly and not make assumptions about the other family or make assumptions mm-hmm. about the kid, then teach. I'd be afraid to teach my child to then categorize somebody as, you know, I don't know. I, well, they might have problems at home or they might have, how do you continue that conversation? Go a little deeper, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think if you don't necessarily know the exact information, then you can speak to them in generalities, you Mm -hmm. know, in the sense of like, we don't know exactly what's going on, you know, with, with this kid at school, but we know in general that people do that when they're feeling sad or when they're feeling scared or when, you know, things are hard at home or, you know, when they're feeling bad about themselves. So we can sort of use it as an example of maybe there's 10 reasons why this could be happening. Like we don't know exactly what's going on with that person, but we do know from looking at, you know, human behavior and from our own life experiences that there are, say, these 10 reasons why people tend to act in those ways. And we can sort of think through those different reasons. And I think just having that conversation, and it's sort of a matter of, of opening up possibilities for the child, that kids and adults too, tend to um, respond to a situation as if they in some way sort of absolutely understand what's going on and, and that they, they have this one experience and it's this one thing. And so to kind of open that up a little bit and create possibilities from it as to how we're going to interpret what happened mm-hmm. gives them some latitude sort of emotionally to move forward. You mentioned ages three to eight earlier, and um, I can only, mine are still under that age of eight. Um, After that, do kids, do you notice that kids and teens start to internalize and not talk to parents as much about, um, you know, when they do face a a situation where they're feeling bad about their school performance, Mm -hmm. their um, on the field performance or a relationship at school, do they keep it bottled up and then we have to bring it out of them? It, it may be the case. I mean, certainly many kids will do that, but I think mm-hmm. it's also, you know, how, how do we lay the groundwork to, to decrease the chances that they're going to take that path? You know, and I think when you start with the younger kids and you start teaching them habits, like, you know, when they come home from school, let's do a check-in. How was your day? Who did you meet today? What, you know, what were your conversations? What was really one good thing that happened today? What was one thing that felt challenging today? And, and you start at that early age before they become sort of self-conscious and, um, you know, and feel sort of weird about doing it with you. And it becomes their normal. And then when they get to be older, it's still their normal. And they may pull back a little bit, but it, you will have established a foundation you know, that you can stand on. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing to be teaching in that young skill set. You know, we want to think of kids who are in that younger age group as being more, you know, they're more family oriented, more parent oriented, more sibling oriented. And when you start getting after about age eight or so, you know, sort of with a fuzzy border, um, you know, the kids start becoming more peer oriented. And it's those peer relationships that become the primary source of support a lot of the time, too. So it's also knowing who our kids' friends are, you know, and knowing who the friends who are really good sounding boards for our kids are and say, maybe you should talk to, you know, to to Sally about that issue because, you know, you guys are really close, things like that. I want to get back to being a helicopter parent because I think this applies to all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like in in my head, and then I've heard friends also say this, you know, that we look back on our pasts and mm-hmm. say, well, I really struggled when it came to math, or I really struggled when it came to 
making close friends. And I don't want that for my child. Mm -hmm. But do we want them to not struggle, but have, um, have a challenge. And, and, um, you know, when it comes to a social situation, I think about it the other day, my daughter walked into a friend's group and she stayed on the, on the sideline kind of watching what the girls were doing. And I said, what, where are you going? Just go, just go, go talk to your friends. You know? And she, she told me later I was nervous, but, um, you know, and, and me in that moment, I wanted her to go not be the shy person I was when I was Mm -hmm. that age. Um, so do we do that? Do we, um, take our own struggles, project them on our child, and then try to protect them in in that way? (laughs) Well, I think we take our own struggles, project them on the children, and then any, for any number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so um, there can be an instinct to protect the child from the the suffering that we had. And that's not a bad instinct at all. But um, I do think we have to be careful about that because also our kids are oftentimes really different people than we were. Right. And, and they can have completely different personality styles. They can have completely different just life experiences. And so their reasons for taking certain actions may not actually be the same as our reasons. So, you know, exploring with the child what they're doing and and understanding their interpretation of what's going on. Because there are kids who their sort of personality style is to sort of sit on the sidelines for a little while, kind of watch everything that's going on and then then step in, right? Other kids are like, busting in like gangbusters right at the beginning and just mm-hmm. jumping into the to the fold and so you know neither of those is right or wrong and so you know we also want to understand what's just a personality style that we want to you know nurture and adapt to mm-hmm. versus something that actually indicates sort of pathology in a way you know something that's mm-hmm. actually really wrong mm-hmm. um, yeah and we kind of talked about it at the beginning and i've also heard um on other parenting podcasts you know mm-hmm. Play to let the child um, play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, like if my child's great at soccer, mm-hmm. then yes, I'm going to put them in soccer, and maybe I don't push them in baseball. Mm-hmm. But then I've also heard we should we shouldn't ignore their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or even on the opposite side too, where in school um, we will focus on oh, they're getting a B in math. We need to send them to a tutor. I'm, I think I keep saying math because I struggled in that, but I mean, <laughs> like, or if, it, or if it's reading, you know, oh, we, we need to get them a tutor. And then we focus so much on the, the area where they're struggling that we're not focusing on the areas where they are excelling is where do we focus our energy to make sure that they are working on their, I don't want to say weaknesses, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, their their weaknesses or where they struggle to help them overcome that, yeah, and then also build up where they are shining so they have that confidence. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it goes um, goes along to what we we're saying. Basically, we we want our kids to understand that they're, uh, you know, they have. Um, a multifactorial kind of nature, right? Like we're not all good at everything and we're not all terrible at everything. Mm-hmm. And I think helping them understand that as, as creatures, humans are like that, right? Like we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses. And um, it is important to challenge ourselves and keep sort of pushing our own boundaries. And that sometimes the places where we excel naturally can be really fun, but they're also not making us grow as people, you know? And so I, I think framing adversity as an opportunity for self-development and self-growth and becoming stronger and better overall um, 
you know, gives the kids permission to fail and then going back to that praising the effort, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because, right, if a kid comes home, they're awesome at math, for example, and they get an A and you're like, awesome, you got an A. And the kid's thinking, well, I didn't really try that hard, you know. Yeah. The praise doesn't really mean that much. But, you know, a kid who's been getting D's in math who comes home with a B minus, that's worthy of like a, a night out for dinner, a special dinner, you know. They've really made an effort and they've come forward. And so, you know, giving them permission to fail as long as, you know, they're making a good effort, you know, and sometimes it's helpful for them to, uh, for all of us, but, but for kids particularly to use sort of physical analogies or physical metaphors, you know, and things like, you know, um, weightlifting, for example, is one that can be good. You know, we can all lift like a half pound weight, like that's not super impressive, you know, but it, we find that place where we're working to, to lift the weight, right? Mm-hmm. And then we do that for a while and we get stronger and then we can lift more weight, right? But if we go mm-hmm. to something that's too hard to fast, we may end up just hurting ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? So real concrete kinds of ways of understanding, because that can be true of math too. You know, you can, you can do super simple math problems and it doesn't really advance you, or someone could throw you like a sheet of calculus that's like, oh my God, what's that? You know, but in between there's sort of like could be fun challenges and gradually growing and to teach them to enjoy that process of growth and development. Like you don't have to play symphony piano the first time you sit down at the keys. Yeah. Is there something that we can be doing at home as families or as parents to exercise that practice of, of facing adversity and resilience? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you can model the behavior yourself. That's always a really, really valuable thing for kids. They're watching you as the parent very closely and they're patterning off you. So so looking in your own life at um, challenges that you're having and talking those through with the kids and how you're dealing with it and maybe how you didn't do so well or how you did really great, but either way, sharing your strategies and your experience as you go is one of the most powerful things that you can do to teach the kids to, to manage that. And then, you know, after that, it's starting to, to look at their experience and then pulling those pieces, those moments out where they're having those and using those as teachable moments and saying, oh, remember when I said I was having that really hard time at work with that person and this is how we resolved it? Well, it sounds like you're having a similar situation. How do you think you might resolve it? Um, but talking about things, having them on the table. And, um, you know, it's, I, I think in some ways, you know, you can do the practice ones too, where you, where you create sort of, you know, um, fictional situations that you want the child to think through. But, but in reality too, there's probably plenty of opportunities um, in day-to-day to identify areas where there's a teachable moment. And mm-hmm. so looking for those and, and you know, bringing them out, um, I think is a really, really good practice. What about playing games as a family? I mean, I feel like you mentioned early, early years, how this starts to form. And I just think mm-hmm. of, I've seen people handle it differently over the years of not letting their kids win or oh, right. <laughs> changing the rules to let them win so that they don't feel bad. I mean, do we, do we, you know, let not let our kid win at Monopoly so that they learn that, that, you know, that losing is part of life. Right. Well, I think it, that's very age dependent too, mm-hmm. you know, and where are you in the process of learning the game? And so, um, you know, I think that I love the idea of game playing, game playing as a family. I think that's a, it's a great bonding experience. And, and 
my family were big game players like our extended family and so there's a lot of card playing a lot of game playing and so we all get used to winning and losing all the time and and so that is just a wonderful family experience and then being able to model how you behave when you lose maybe by saying wow great job you really beat me this time well done you know sort of praising that and being a gracious loser gives you that same opportunity to present that to the child and model the behavior um i think with really little kids like if you're playing like a card game or a board game or you know shoots and ladders or whatever with like a two three four five year old then um sometimes you might kind of let them have a little bit of an advantage you know yeah. like they don't have to know it sometimes you can tell them like well let me give you two you know sort of that you know um you know a little bit of a handicapping golf kind of idea right. um and, and that's fine to do. I think that um, ultimately, though, it is important to give them that experience of winning and losing and to pick interactions where they actually have a chance of winning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still remember when when my nephew, you know, who liked to play chess with me when he was like six and I'm not a chess player, you know, but I could beat him at six, you know, and then by the time he was in junior high and did the chess club, he could beat me every time. And so I think that was entertaining for both of us to kind of see that you know, that growth and development. And, and so think of it also as not just a snapshot moment in time, but how will this moment play later on? And so maybe they start losing more frequently earlier on, and then they start winning more and you can highlight that development over time. Um, You know, that's really meaningful to them and they can look back and see, oh, I get it. You know, like Mm -hmm. I stuck with it and I pushed through and now, now I can beat mom at whatever, you know, the game. Right. (laughs) Right. Earlier you mentioned um, kids, teens really wanting that perfectionism. And um, I feel like we really live in a society now where, especially a few years ago, there was this need to show perfectionism on, um, you know, you look at Instagram and you want that life and, and people were afraid to show their flaws and their failures. Now we're seeing the pendulum swing back, but um, is there any way to like, should we be emphasizing showing imperfections um, and how we, how do we do that as parents? Right. I think that's an, it's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, of more authenticity, helping them understand the difference between sort of, you know, Hollywood magic and what the reality of the world is. You know, the other thing that I think is helpful for, for kids too, and, and I'll just keep saying like, the more we can do this over the lifespan, the more powerful it will be is to give them different images of things like what was beauty like in the 1700s? Like what was beauty like in this other culture? What was beauty like, you know, in these different eras because um, the conceptualization, for example, of beauty changes over time, you know, and so there were times and eras where, where being more sort of robust physically was actually considered the much more preferable, you know, beauty style, not like super, super like, you know, too thin kind of thin mm-hmm. that sometimes we see today or disproportionate in some way. So helping them to understand the arbitrariness of this sort of absolutist thinking um, gives them again latitude to to put it into context um, so that they have more choices. So to wrap it up, I mean, we we shouldn't wrap our kids in bubble wrap and protect them from everything. We would be doing them a disservice. 
Correct. Absolutely. Right. You got to let your kids sort of slip and fall and get up. And it's how you manage them when they slip and fall and get up. I think the image mm -hmm. I would give is, you know, I've seen kids on the playground, right? They slip and fall and they scrape their knee and they stop for a second. And they kind of look around like, I'm not quite sure how I should react to this. And the parent runs up and the parent can either go, oh my God, honey, how, did you, how are you turning? The kid bursts into tears and all of a sudden they're panicked. Or you can say, wow, good fall. Get up and keep going. And the kid's like, oh, awesome. And they get up and mm -hmm. keep going. Right. Yeah. So how we, we, help our child interpret their experience really can affect how resilient they are. And sometimes this desire to overprotect actually makes them weaker. And, yeah. and so we have to just balance that with when do they really need us to be there and give them a hug and, and um, you know, be more of a consistent source of support, you know, right. just navigating that. Right. This has been great advice, Dr. David Miller. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all of your advice. Well, if I get follow-up questions from parents, I know who to call because I feel like this is one of those topics that we're always wondering, am I doing this right? <laughs> it's a huge one, right? Thank you, Maria, for yeah. having me. I mean, it's a wonderful topic and, and yeah, it's been a delight to be here. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you on the next Mom Squad podcast. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.